Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yeah. I said, well, are you a Christian or a Jew? And he said, I'm a Christian. And I said, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? And he said, Protestant. And I said, ah, me too. What franchise? And he said, Baptist. And I said, ah, me too. Are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? And he said, Northern Baptist. And I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist. And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist. And I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region. And he said, Northern Conservative Great Lakes region. And I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1912. And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic. And I shoved him off. Is that stupid or what? And yet, people do be like that, don't they? All right, so this time I'm going to read Colossians 2, 20 through 23 in a different translation since this will be the third, at least third week that I've read it to you. So listen to the word of the Lord. So then... If with Christ you've put all that puffed up and childish religion behind you, why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't go near this. Do you think things that are here today and gone tomorrow are worth that kind of attention? Such things sound impressive if said in a deep enough voice. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and austere but they're just another way of showing off and making yourselves look important. This is the word of the Lord. Or in the English Standard Version, uh, verse 23 says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So I've been saying over and over, the real thing is in Jesus. And... Religion is a stopgap. The law, God's law is a good thing, but it exposes what's wrong. It doesn't actually transform what's wrong. It's helpful if you want to know moral truth, but it's not helpful if you want to live moral truth. To live moral truth, you have to go to God directly in faith and have an encounter with love. And the love comes inside of you. And the love transforms you. And the love lives in you. And the love lives through you. Faith is a totally different thing than religion or rebellion. Right? Rebellion says I need to get free of God by casting off his limitations to avoid him. Religion says I need to get free of God by doing what he wants. You catching me? Rebellion says, these gods will satisfy me. Religion says, I will satisfy God. Faith says, I will know God as he graciously makes himself known. Totally different things. Totally different things. Of course, the danger is lots of people are in church living in the wrong tree. Right? And so Paul's going, guys, don't go back to the wrong tree. Don't go back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is not about you being experts 
in what's wrong with everybody and everything and yourself. Ultimately, that same mindset makes you think of what's wrong with God. But instead, this is about the finished work of Jesus and the love of God. So I left some questions unanswered in in previous messages. I talked about asceticism. Does anybody remember that? I wrote the word asceticism on the board. Oh, that was like two weeks ago. And already the memories have faded. And it sounds like, oh, so uh, what does this mean then for like uh, asceticism is bad, harsh treatment of the body, sleeping on the ground. I think I probably told you all about one of the church fathers who would sleep on the hard, cold stone floor thinking he was going to teach his body to shut up and he was going to be led by the spirit and he was going to tell his body no. And so he's going to sleep on the no mattress, you know, eat terrible food, don't, don't, don't eat food that tastes good and and asceticism, harsh treatment of the body, you know? We're just, gonna, we're, just, we're just gonna say that anything of the body must be evil and dangerous when actually that's, that's very unscriptural. God made the body, God made food, God made dancing, God made music, God made everything for our enjoyment. He made the world wonderful and good. That's a distinctive Christian doctrine is that creation is good. Uh, in the Babylonian creation narratives, humans were made because the gods were lazy and wanted slaves. And we were cursed to just be little peons whose lives are terrible, and the goal would be to just not get noticed by the gods. Because the gods were basically a big old soap opera in the sky. Don't get noticed, don't tick them off, but occasionally if you need something from the gods, you would sacrifice to make them like you throw a couple of virgins in a, in a volcano, maybe then they'll send the rains and we won't starve. The Christian faith is completely the opposite. Our God is not served, but rather he provides graciously for everyone, even the unrighteous. Our God is not served. He doesn't need anything you have. He doesn't, what could you possibly have that would contribute to him? Oh, Rusty's jumping ahead. He says, the heart. He doesn't need your stuff, and he doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your life. He wants relationship. When he asks you to give to him, it's for your sake. It's to set your heart free from the wrong attachments that are killing you. When he asks you to fast, so I'm trying to answer the question, asceticism is bad, right? doesn't help, but... If asceticism is bad, then what's the role of discipline? Right? That's question one. No, that's not. That's question two. I'm getting out of my notes. My notes are all out of order. Have you noticed that I struggle to stick to my notes? And then some of you are like, don't even use notes. I have three questions that I want to try to talk about today based on this text. Notice Paul says, you already died. You died. You died to sin. You died to the little demonic things that drive humans in religion, whether paganism or legalism. You died. So why would you go back to your old life? And so here's the question I have. Uh, Do you still need to put things to death. 
if you already died with Christ. That's a lot of writing. Do you still need to put things to death if you already died? You already died to sin. You died to, the old, you died to your old self. Is there anything left for you to put to death? Be honest. Tell me what you think. Negative thoughts, old life. Interesting. What else? Fleshly desires, old habits. Here's one. Are you called to put yourself to death? Oh, I like it. So you're called to put selfishness to death, but you're not called to put yourself to death because that already happened in the cross. And a new self created in Christ Jesus for good works is here now in your life, in your, in your heart. You've become a new person. So you're not called to put yourself to death. That's already happened. You are a new self. But you are called to put whatever belongs to that old self, that old self who actually went down the drain in our situation. He was soaked into these stones in the parking lot when we siphoned out the water from the baptismal. But the old you that was washed away in baptism and died... That's already dealt with. So the problem is, the problem is we've been trained so many years. We've, we've, lived, we've been homeschooled in the wrong home. And so it's often easier. It, it, God makes your spirit righteous and makes you brand new in a second. But it takes a little longer to renew your mind. Can anyone testify to what I'm saying is true? Or the way we say it often in here is, God rescues all the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt in a day. But for the next 40 years, he's getting the slavery out of the Israelites. It's easier for him to get the Israelites out of slavery than to get the slavery out of the Israelites. Who's tracking? Yeah, good. You got me. So are we, put, are we called to put anything left to death? Yeah. Yeah. Selfishness. Anything that belongs to our old life, we put to death. Lies carnal attitudes, rudeness, anything that's not love, basically, is the summary. Anything that's not love, we're called to put it to death. Question two. If asceticism and rules, like he's just said in this passage very clearly, if those don't actually kill sin, don't help us kill sin, and don't help us develop real moral uh, transformation, real love for God and people, then what is the role of spiritual discipline? Right? If no to asceticism, what's the role of discipline? Y'all know what I mean by discipline? Training. I don't mean I don't mean so much correction. I mean training. I mean routine. I mean Ritual, I mean, like, spiritually, there's a version of training. Physically, we're talking about exercise, diet, working out, sleeping well, taking good care of your body, being in optimum fit condition. Spiritually, 
grace, some people would think, oh, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. So I'm just positionally righteous before God and maybe something will happen and it'll just work. I'll just become godly magically because I'm under grace. And, and so in, in Christian's mind, for some reason, we're kind of dumb and we say dumb stuff. So we think, we think of obedience to Jesus as somehow, as somehow inconsistent or incompatible with being under grace. We think sometimes we think of obedience as legalism. That's totally false. Grace is the opposite of earning, but it's never the opposite of effort. Grace is the power of God that fuels your efforts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I worked harder than all the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Are you catching me? We think of grace as God like going, oh, wow, when the grace of God is the actual favor of God in relationship. It's the love of God experienced in relationship. It's the presence of God. It's the power of God. He, when he pours grace on someone, it's like pouring fertilizer and water on a plant. It's meant to produce his desired effects. Paul said, at the beginning of the passage I just referenced, God's grace to me was not in vain, but I worked harder than all of them. See, we often think, oh, if I'm under grace, then I can do what I want, and if I screw it up, it's okay, and we'll just see if something magically happens in my life. So if asceticism and rules are ineffective at cutting off sin, what place do the spiritual discipline says? Well, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, but instead... So stop wasting your time on the parts of the Bible that excite your flesh. Ooh, oh my goodness, in Genesis 6, there's these Nephilim, these giants, these, and they, and they oh my word, these, these demonic creatures, and they came out, somehow they, they, had, they had babies with women, and then those became the giants, and then those giants did this thing, and it's this whole race, it's, from, it's the Goliath race, and in Enoch, it says, in Enoch, first and second Enoch, have you read Enoch? They're not in your Bible, but they're referenced by Judah and second Peter. Oh my word, in Enoch, it says that they were cast into these dungeons and they did all this stuff and it's very, ooh, and you haven't been told about it. You haven't been told about it because there's secret knowledge that the church is repressing. Oh, but I have the keys and codes because I Googled it and I read some stuff and I bought a book on Amazon. It's really exciting. Oh my goodness, you guys, and everything you've been taught is wrong. I'm restraining myself because I want to use name calling and that's not helpful. But that's, that's myths and God, that's godless myths and old wives tales. The point of your Bible is to connect you to God through Jesus so that you can know him and love him and live a life that's pleasing to him because you're going to die soon and stand before Jesus on judgment day. And this book will be the measuring tool that's used to measure you. This book. He's made himself known and knowable on purpose so that men are without excuse. That's, that's Romans chapter one. That's Romans chapter two. 
So now what? Well, I'm just saved by grace. No, you're not just saved by grace. You're saved by grace, which puts you in his family. And, his, in, and, and now we have the opportunity to maximize by actually receiving grace, being formed by grace, being transformed by grace, cooperating with grace, growing up into the image of Christ. Now that we're in grace to actually have his presence, his spirit, his person within us shape and form us to people who do the father's will so that we get a well done, good and faithful servant all by grace on the day of the Lord. So grace is not the opposite of effort. It's the opposite of earning. So Paul says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourselves to be godly. Now that you're under grace, let's get going. Come on, guys, let's go. Grace has qualified you. No more earning your way back. You're all the way in. You're all the way accepted. You're all the way forgiven. You're all the way beloved. You're all the way righteous. You're all the way holy. Say it, confess it, agree with it, and now walk in it. Be shaped by it. Be trained by it. Come daily into it. Discipline yourself. Tell your body no. Tell your spirit no and yes. One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control, which is the ability to tell yourself yes and to obey, and to tell yourself no and to obey. And before I knew Jesus, I didn't have much of it because I didn't have a purpose and a cause big enough to tell myself yes and no and actually obey. And I didn't have the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the foundation. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. You know? And it's crazy because the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is a, is a sort of fear about being away from the Lord. Being afraid of God makes you want to be away from the Lord. It's the fear of the presence of the Lord. So ironically, those with the fear of the Lord are the least afraid of the Lord. Because perfect love casts out fear and the fear of the Lord draws near to the Lord so that the love of the Lord comes into you and transforms you until there is no more fear of punishment. Isn't that interesting? The boldest, bravest people who draw near and live lives that are of lives of overcomers are the people with the fear of the Lord. And what that means is our only, our only, our only concern is not what people will think about us, what we'll lose. Our only concern is, will I please and honor him? It's huge. And as a preacher, what that means for me is there's always going to be in every culture, not just me, because y'all are in this culture too. In every culture, there will be parts of the culture that line up with scripture and people like it and they want to hear it and they agree with it. And there will be parts of scripture that do not line up with culture and if you say it or live it or admit it, they will heap insults on you. And if you really love people, we have a culture that measures loving people by how they feel about our treatment of them. God measures our love for people by our really seeking what's best for them right? But you didn't make me feel loved. Your feelings are stupid. You're deceived. Your values don't match truth. That's why you're offended. I told you what you needed to hear to please the Lord and to live well. God's commands are not arbitrary. His commands are an invitation to live how he designed life to work. When I tell you your, your behavior is destructive, and I'm pleading with tears 
for you to please turn around and walk a different way. That's not because I'm judging you or hating you. It's because I love you enough to tick you off. I love you more than I want your approval. In fact, if I need you, I can't love you yet. Until I don't need you, I'm not equipped to love you. As a person who struggles with this, pray for me. Please pray for me that I don't shrink back from telling people who I love what I need to tell them to love them in truth. And pray for me that when I do it, I don't do it with an attitude of judgment or meanness in any way, but with tears and humility. Right? If it, and if you sin against me and I rebuke you because you hurt me and I'm mad at you, I can pretend like I'm doing it in Christian love, but the truth is I'm doing it out of resentment and self-protection. And so, like I always say, you can't, you're not ready to confront until you have forgiven. And if you're not willing to cry for somebody, you're probably not ready to bring a rebuke. Oh, man, I don't even know where we're going now. Another passage where Paul says the same kind of thing about the importance of training is, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Can you say that with me? Strict training. Are you in strict training for godliness right now? Are you in strict training? Are you disciplining your heart to be receiving the gospel daily? If not, consider the option. Life's pretty short, man. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. I love Paul. Don't you just love Paul? I make it my slave so that after preaching to others, I won't be disqualified. That's possible, isn't it? It's possible to preach a gospel you're not believing and living. It's possible to proclaim a Christ who's true, but your life isn't really living in union with Christ. It's possible. And we've seen it too, haven't we? Especially recently. We've seen a number of examples of famous, well-known preachers, evangelists messing up. And I'm going to tell you what's stupid when I hear preachers go, well, you know, I could do the same thing. If you're in the church and that's what your preacher says and the issues are aggressive, 20 years deep of aggressive, secretly sexually abusing women and that's your response, that's your pastor's response, well, could have been me. Like maybe run. Because those victims in the church, if he's telling the truth, that really could have been him, that could have been you. That's, that's a messed up response to a hypocritical, fake life of sin. That's a messed up response. Would there be grace for someone like that? Yeah, if they repent. If they confess and repent. If they come out and actually are broken. But should they be preaching after that? Probably not. And if so, not for a long time. Like, come on, man. Okay, that's off topic, but... Uh... Real Christianity is supposed to be lived. 
Grace is not some sort of a, a you know, sticker that God puts on a piece of junk car that says he's gonna pretend this is an amazing car. Grace is he actually takes it into the shop and he completely refurbishes it and replaces the engine and new struts, new shocks, new tires, new transmission, everything. He, he, head to, you know, stem to stern, he replaces the parts and that's what grace does. That's what grace is about. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We're new creations in Christ. The old has come, the new has come. The old has gone, the new has come. Behold, everything is made new. Should we continue in sin? Romans 6, 1. All right, Cody and I were talking about this the other day on the phone. Should I so I'm under grace. Should I keep on sinning? Paul's just face palming. You know, what are you talking about? You died to sin. The question should be, is it possible for a Christian to sin? Not, is it possible for a Christian to not sin? When I first met the Lord, when I first met the Lord, I was taught this. I was taught every moment, every day, in word or thought or motive or deed, you're sinning somehow. If you're breathing, you're sinning. And the only thing that's going to free you from that is to die and get home to heaven. So they equated living in a body with sinning. First John says, if someone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, and they confess their sin, and if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to both forgive us the sin and to cleanse us from the unrighteousness. In other words, the normal Christian life is a life of obedience, by faith, by grace, powered, fueled by Jesus. It's Christ living in me, not me living in me. It's Christ in me, living in and through me. Hey, what's up? That's the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is a life of worship. The normal Christian life is a life set apart, sanctified, exclusively for divine usage. Now you're going, Tim, are you claiming that you never sin? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when the Holy Spirit deems the sin in my life an issue worth dealing with, he convicts or brings it to my attention or your attention. I'm in a process of being made holy. And it's possible there are some character defects in me that the Lord will get around to later because he's got some bigger fish he's frying right now. Right? So somebody meets Jesus. They have a brand new heart, but their mind is being renewed and they're in a process where issue by issue, as he leads He'll be working these things out and training and teaching us. But as far as it depends on you, if you're a brand new Christian, Peter says, now that you've been brought to new life, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Or Hebrews says, though by this time you ought to be teachers. That's interesting. The author of Hebrews, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still, need, you still need milk. You should be way past milk by now. You should have been so disciplined. He said, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, you hear it? Constant use have trained themselves. We're supposed to grow up into the meat. We're not supposed to stay babies. Well, we're just under grace. Yeah, the grace is supposed to actually wake something up that causes us to go in full-on aggressive mode. Let's go mode. 
everyday mode, wake up Jesus mode, let's go, seek God first mode, fast and pray mode, memorize scripture mode, meditate on his word mode, blessed is the man who doesn't walk like wicked people and hang out with wicked, wicked thinking and meditate on wicked stuff, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord, meaning the Bible, and on God's book he meditates day and night. Really? You hear it? Day and night. And he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Why? Because their life is built on the wrong stuff. So in the judgment day of the Lord, just burns up. Or let's, let, you only have to go all the way to the judgment day. In the trial. I thought Jesus was going to make all my friends like me, and now they don't like me. I quit. I thought Jesus was going to heal my body and get my bank account fixed. I quit. I thought this was going to be easy. This is why I'm like, guys, we got to count the cost. This is, this is day one. Day one of Jesus' gospel. Hey, they're going to kill me. If you follow me, they'll likely kill you. Who's coming with me? That's what it means. Take up your cross, follow me. They're going to kill me. If you follow me, they'll probably kill you. Who's coming with me? Like, Don't get in the waters of baptism if you're not ready to die for Jesus. You're not ready for baptism yet if you're not ready to die because that's what the baptism is. It's a funeral and a wedding and a resurrection all wrapped up into one. You know, you come out of the waters like he came out of the empty tomb. How have I used all this time? So, you know, that was question. If no, if asceticism doesn't change us, what's the role of discipline? I'll tell you what the role of discipline is. The role of discipline is to feast on the gospel with discipline instead of feasting on all the nonsense. That's the point of discipline. It's to get your heart in the grace that's yours. It's to feast on it. It's to, it's to meditate on it. It's to let it grow big in your understanding. It's what Jesus meant when he said, if the eye, your eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is light, your whole body will be flooded with light because what you focus on is what you fill yourself with. Focus determines destiny. What you focus on grows bigger in your understanding and the bigger it gets in your understanding, the more it starts to affect your affections the things you love, the things that bring you pleasure and joy, the more you focus on it, the more it grows big in your affections and then it, or in your, big in your understanding, it affects your affections. And the bigger it is in your affections, the more your habitual responses will be pleasing to the Lord. The normal Christian life is a life of so abiding in Christ that obedience to Jesus is normal and natural, and sinning feels awkward and unusual to you. But we've been trained in the wrong family. We've been schooled in the wrong homeschool, right? We've been homeschooled in the wrong thing. We've been trained by the world. We're more like the world than we are the culture of heaven. And so all of us has to choose to enroll in training. And by the way, we're in a day and age when, when the church is taking more beatings than a low-hanging pinata on Cinco de Mayo. People's view of the church is so negative I don't need church. All I need is Jesus. Good luck with that. You're in trouble. He shed his blood for the church. Paul said he fills up in his flesh what's still lacking in, the, in regard to the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the church. 
Paul said, I'm giving my life to bring the church to the radiance of the image of Jesus who called her. I'm, I'm giving my life sacrificially to make her, who is God's priority, radiant. So if you're thinking, well, I don't need no church, you are so out of alignment with Jesus, you're on crack. You are just, all right, restrain yourself, Tim, back in. Try it again. You may not be on crack, but your priorities are so out of alignment with Jesus that you're saying things he would never say. You know what he would say to you? Here's what he would say to you. If you're like, I don't need no church. He would say this. He would say what he said to John post-resurrection. He would say what he would say to Peter and when Peter's being restored. Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. If you love Jesus, but you hate his bride, I don't think it's Jesus you love. It's something else. Something you've created in your own mind. It's a fiction. It's not the real Jesus. If you aren't bleeding for the bride, your priorities are stupid. Man, I'm just sassy. I'm really trying to not be. Whoever said that? Yeah, Gates on. Okay, all right. Shut, shut it down before I get even sassier. So we give of our time. We give of our treasure. We give of our talent. We are in grace, so we're not being measured. Oh, is he in? Is he, you know, when you're, not, when you're in a legalism mindset, you have a he loves me, he loves me not relationship with God. It's a lot of stress. But just because we're under grace doesn't mean we want to just waste that grace. It's like having a lifetime supply of chocolate and not sharing it, or like having infinite money and not do anything with it. It's like, oh, yeah, at least I'm saved. Are you, though? Like, ugh. Okay, see, I'm just getting sassier the more I... Spiritual disciplines are a means of grace. I'm skipping, 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 skipping. Nope, don't have time. Uh, pigeon. Uh, let's see, what else? <laughs> the youth have a thing where I have to work the word into my sermon, and I, I'm uncreative today, and the word was pigeon. Next time, we're going to look, hopefully, at... <laughs> Colossians 3, which is that we, we are been, have been raised up with Christ. And since we've been raised up with Christ, we're supposed to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We're supposed to fix our mind, focus our attention on realities that are heavenly realities. We're supposed to live rooted in heaven and fruited on earth. And the, and the, the only way to live fruitful on earth is to keep our minds rooted in heaven. A mindset on heaven, on Jesus. And like... <laughs> I have a lot of stuff I wish I could say, but there's more days and more teachings and more sessions. But living from the high ground is a lot easier. Remember Swiss Family Robinson? One little family against like multiple pirate ships. If you youngsters want to see some good entertainment. The best scene in that whole movie is when, is when all the pirates are trying to climb up the hill and they got bombs everywhere and they're like cutting all these, they're cutting all trees are falling down and knocking people over and and they got hand grenades, and it's just one family. But the reason they're able to hold off all these people is because they have the high ground. They have the high ground. They got a refuge in the high ground. So every time the, the enemy's trying to climb up the thing, they're exposed, and it's just super disadvantaged. And my favorite scene, I think, in the whole movie is when they cut them trees loose, and the one's rolling, and one of them dudes is perfectly bald and shiny like me, 
and he's like trying to climb up there and he looks up right when a log hits him in the head and it goes thunk. And that thunk, I've probably, you know, rewind play, rewind play, rewind play, thunk, thunk, thunk. Nowadays, the kids would, would take that into the music software and they'd turn it into like some sort of dance track. Just play the clip over like that. Go ahead and stand, we're done. My beatboxing is not that advanced, is it? It's like, I found a clip of a, of a young girl beatboxing this week, and her dad and her were like doing one of those competition things. Maybe I'll show it to you soon. It's true. The girl blew my mind. All right, let's pray. Oh, she schooled her dad. She took her dad to school, paddled him, paddled him, and he gave her a trophy willingly. You know, it, it was good. All right, let's do some repeat after me's. Father, I'm in a state of grace. Let me take grace seriously. I ask you for help to feast on your word, to discipline my body, to discipline my mind, to focus on Jesus, to focus on your love to focus on your gospel, renew my mind, transform my heart, abide in me, living flame, flame up, stir up the gift that is in me. Amen. Amen.